this time on the ITC. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns with a special pro wrestling interview edition as we filleth your cup runneth over, featuring a series of fun chats you simply won't want to miss that are brought to you and underwritten by that performance-enhancing audio, the Brian Campbell. Yes, in fact, the voice that you hear. Just about ready to unleash a sit-down with newly minted WWE Hall of Famer Bill Goldberg to chat about why Brock Lesnar deserves the majority of credit for a successful comeback to WWE and why Hulk Hogan may deserve a second chance overall. Goldberg will also talk about who... Or should I say what is next for him now that he has signed on to host his new show on history, Forged in Fire, Knife or Death. Some good stuff from there to listen to with Goldberg himself. We will also unveil a series of exciting sound we recorded in New Orleans. Yes, we got more bonus sound for you from WrestleMania weekend, including chats with WWE personalities Renee Young, Corey Graves, along with The Miz and NXT superstars Alistair Black and Adam Cole. Bay, Bay. Yes, you heard that man's voice. But before we get to him, folks, just a reminder. Look, this is the major leagues of professional wrestling interview shows. Welcome to the big show, brother. So what we ask of you is to get us back on the other side with that five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe, right? Tell your friends on social media with the hashtag in this corner. But you heard his voice. Now you will hear him completely. The man that will chop it all up with me is the self-proclaimed bad guy. Oh, yeah. He's a king without a crown, and he's a silver one at that. It's Adam Silverstein. Hey, now. I, I never proclaimed that. I just wanted the music, but I'll take the next It's starting to fit the, the villainous think, persona here. Yeah, people happen to, to think that these days, but that's fine with me. No people problem. People think you're, you're this, you know, soulless, unhappy man here who's ready to rip anything that, get, that comes down the pipe. But, you know, come on, come on. Nobody Look, pops I'm, more for Ronda Rousey than Adam Silverstein. People no, get no, and if that. you're a bad guy popping for Ronda Rousey, I, I don't know what to tell you. Wow. wow. All right. Hey, Silver King, we got a lot of great sound to get you. F- fell into a little chance here to talk to the one and only Goldberg. And I got to say, I've really come around on this guy because he had that really bad rep. You know what I mean? I was never a big Goldberg guy to begin with. He had that bad rep in the industry. If anyone that heard his Hall of Fame speech this year, I'm going to get into that with him in a minute. But he's just a humble dude these days. It's really good to hear at 51, a, a good dad. Hey, Let's get right into it right now and hear what Goldberg has to say fresh off that Hall of Fame induction at WrestleMania 34. Fired up to talk to you about this new project, Forge in Fire, Knife or Death, which is airing Tuesday nights on History at 10 p.m. Eastern. We're fresh off the premiere episode, Bill. I I I got a chance to screen it and and loved what I saw. The gist here is that the show takes the country's most experienced edge weapons experts and puts them through grueling, insane obstacles. This is really cool stuff. I'm digging, like, the gritty outdoor warehouse feel to it. What's the best way you can describe for fans what they're getting into you by following you into this into the show? Oh, God. Well, just uh, mix a little forged in fire with uh, ninja warriors, and you've got knife or death. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's like, I think the tagline was Ninja Warrior meets Fruit Ninja. It sort of got that that feel to it. It's, it's a really, really cool idea. So what drew you to it? What kind of experience? We know you're a, you're you're an American badass, Bill. We know you're a martial arts guy, a, a car guy. What type of weapons background do you have in this? 
absolutely zero. Um, at the end of the day, <clears throat> being able to garner the fan base from the existing hit show Forge and Fire is awesome. Um, it's a, it is a, a very um, large niche in today's society, but what we're doing expands that. Um, I was speaking with two of my co-hosts yesterday and truthfully our show is not it's not concentrating on the blade as much as the person who wields it. Um, a, a blade can only be as good as the, the person who's, who's doing the cutting. So um, no matter what tool or implement you bring to the fight, you have to know how to use it to the best of your ability, taking your body into consideration. Um, at the end of the day, it's there's so many variables. I mean, these guys and girls don't get to see the course. They got to go out there and be precise. They have to have precision, but they have to do it in a in a short period of time. So you really don't know what you're going to get. Um, some of them have forged their blades. Some have not. So some have a connection with that blade for a long period of time. Some are just using it as as a, as a tool. So um, it's very interesting to see the the backgrounds of the contestants, the uh, the weapon of choice, how it correlates to to their thought process and ultimately their fitness level and how they can wield it. Yeah, the, the precision needed for these guys has been impressive to sort of see. Have you been able to 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 grab some of these weapons and try it out? Cut cut a few ice blocks, some slabs of meat. What? what how's Bill Goldberg at this? <laughs> You know, I, I haven't. I've grabbed a couple of the of the uh, of the knives, and um, we try to put ourselves in a situation to where we assume that uh, this one's going to be better going through the course than the next one. But at the end of the day, you don't know until until in real time you go out and do it. We can all have our predisposed opinions and stereotypes about uh, the men or women wielding it and, and the blade itself, but you do not know what you're going to get until that clock starts and these people run through that course. Um, some blades that you think would, would be better at the challenges, uh, turn out to be horrible choices, but is it the blade or is it the person who wields it? Um, do they know, you know, my, my background as a, as a uh, martial artist, my background as a guy who's always used his, his body in an athletic way um, applies to the technique these people are going to have to use in wielding the blade. Um, I don't have to have the expertise in the knife itself to have the logic stored in my head as to um, the, the, the form and function of a specific knife and, and the body composition and the the awareness that the people have to have in wielding it. Um, if you have the biggest, baddest, sharpest, and the most durable knife, it doesn't ensure success. Great points. Great points. Bill, I got to congratulate you on the last year plus. Your comeback to WWE. You, look, you, you could call it the greatest final act anyone's had, if, you're, if we're really being honest, in terms of making a comeback, having it be that impactful, going into the Hall of Fame shortly after so I've seen your interviews where you say, look, never say never on another match, but maybe not likely. So along with this history show, what's next for Goldberg? 
Oh God. <laughs> What's next is trying to garner as many fans as we can uh, for the second episode to duplicate what our premiere did. Um, I've been getting a lot of congratulatory emails and phone calls that we, we debuted well on Tuesday night, but you're only as good as your next venture and you're only as good as your next episode. And, you know, it's not a time to rest on our laurels by any stretch of the imagination because <laughs> we've only got one out there. And, you know, it's time to ramp it up and, and get uh, enthusiasm on board, like I said, so that we can garner more viewers and uh, hopefully ensure that uh, Knife or Death's going to have at least a season number two and go out there and provide some entertainment for some people that's even cooler than, than what we've done, you know, for first season. So just fingers crossed and uh, hope everybody tunes in and makes it a success that we know that it is. Well, you continue to you continue to add things to your resume that make you the coolest dad around, and it was great to see how important your comeback was to your son Gage. And, and it look, it touched me having sons right around his age. So I, I guess what I want to ask you is ultimately, what did this mean to him? How has he been able to communicate to you how awesome it was to see his dad, you know, go back under the cape and become that superhero? You know, he's uh, he's. It's hard. He doesn't really eloquate those things at 11 years old, but all I got to do is watch him. Um, all I got to do is see him in in real time. You know, see him being introduced as Goldberg at driver introductions for NASCAR on Fox last weekend. Um, you know, those opportunities are priceless, and I don't need him to give me any positive affirmation that he's had a wonderful last 12 months, all I have to do is sit back and remove myself and, and, and see the smile on his face and hope that these are uh, memories that will last a lifetime. And ultimately, hopefully he's proud of his dad. No, no question about it. And I'm sure he must go to YouTube once in a while, Bill, and, and just type in Goldberg Spear because the, these videos get passed around Twitter all the time. If I've got a favorite, it's that one you hit on Christian in your WWE first run that I, I thought he died. What's your favorite spear? What's the hardest one you've ever hit? Oh, my God. There's, there's, I don't know, there's probably like a top five. But the Christian one has to be up there. Um, you know, I hit Nunzio in the Battle Royal, I think it was, or the Royal Rumble. Yes. And speared him three quarters of the way across the, the, the arena. But um, I liked all of them. The Christian one was pretty cool. I, Charles Robinson didn't like the one I put on him, but... <laughs> Hey, it is what it is. It ain't no, it ain't no Georgia Tech spear, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed your Hall of Fame speech, and I've seen your speech, and I've seen quotes afterwards where you really gave credit to Brock Lesnar for a lot of the success of your recent comeback. What did you mean by that? Well, if Brock didn't didn't see. Uh, um, in myself, a viable competitor, I never would have come back. I never would have had the opportunity to come back. So let's be honest. My first tenure with the WWE wasn't the, a glorious success. And my exodus from the company wasn't the most positive to date. 12 years pass, nothing happens. Then lo and behold, the beast needs somebody to kill. So I'm 
fortunate enough that I was that I always keep myself in good shape, and uh, it was it was an option, and he fought for it, and um, I just you know he Brock means the world to me. He means the world to my family. Uh, beyond the wrestling business, he's he's a guy that's made a huge difference in how my son looks at me. Mm. And for something like that, I will never be able to repay him. It doesn't mean that I won't kick his ass if I ever get in the ring with him again. <laughs> but it does mean that I have the respect for him that can never be, never be uh, diminished. So I love to hear that. I'm a big Brock guy. We get a lot of top superstars on our CBS Sports podcast, and we ask him about working with Brock, about planning a match, and you get a lot of, you know, he's hard to work with. I feel like I'm preparing for a real fight because I never know what he's going to do next. And I don't know if I'm being worked or not. If I am, I- I'm openly okay with that. But you seem to have a-, a different special relationship with him where planning that that string of matches you had was easy, it sounds like. Um, he's a monster, right? And there's a way to book a monster. And I'm a monster, though I'd be a, a little bit older than him. And it's it's based on logic. It's based on violence. And it's not based on length. And once you understand that the two characters are quite similar, it's quite easy to, to book a program together, unbeknownst to everyone as to what happened back in 2003, 2004, because <laughs> that wasn't handled properly. But um, I love working with Brock. I love working with Scott Steiner. I love working with guys who are real. Um, it's It provides a much more entertaining scenario, in my eyes, than anything else out there. Am I right? Am I wrong? Well, it doesn't matter. It's my opinion. Loved how humble your Hall of Fame speech was. Loved the shout out you gave to Steve Austin. And, you know, you mentioned the the similar looks you guys had during the peak of the Attitude Era. And I think a lot of fans are curious, what type of interaction did the two of you have back then? Either during the late 90s or when you did come into WWE in 2003? Well, we didn't have any interaction prior to me coming in there. I didn't know Steve. I wasn't uh, afforded the opportunity to work with him earlier in his career. Um, I just... I, I saw him work from afar. Um, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I, I never copied a damn thing from Steve Austin, but I did see how a character can be um, so grandiose, so all encompassing and so successful that I took cues from his rise to better help me in my preparation for my hopeful rise and in the speech you know i gave credit to a number of people who lended you know one thing or another to the to the formation of goldberg as a character and you know whether it was like i said just a look from the road warriors or whether it was you know the sticking the tongue out from hawk um, there were a lot of people that had a lot to do with my success, but it doesn't mean that that uh, I copied them in any way, shape, or form. I just, I, I pretty much, uh, like I said, I, I watched from afar and watched and, and took notes on what to do and what not to do. And 
he was a very positive influence um, in my career, watching from afar. It wasn't it wasn't a hands-on approach, but then when I did get to the WWE and he and I hooked up, it was nothing but but respect, and I greatly appreciated that coming from him. Such a successful person and character, and such a good guy deep down inside, and I appreciated that to the utmost degree. And since we became friends uh, years and years ago, man. I probably keep in, I, 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 there's no question. I keep in contact with him more so than anybody in the business. And there's a reason for that. Hey, and, if uh, anyone knows what it was like to be that type of star, it's certainly the two of you in the late nineties. And you also gave a, a nice little shout out there to Hulk Hogan. And of course the Georgia dome match, July 6th, 1998 on nitro. I remember where I was sitting when I saw that. I'm sure everybody else does. Do you think it's time, though, for Hulk to get that return to WWE to put the sins behind, maybe have the fans forgive him? Is it is? Are we there in your eyes? Oh, that's not for me to judge. Um, I think, uh, I said it before, you know, everybody deserves a second chance. I think that uh, you put him in the locker room and give him the floor, let him speak his mind. Um, that's 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 what he deserves. Um, and uh, you know who knows what happens from there but it's not for me to say by any means and uh, I can just give you my opinion and that I think he deserves the floor and who knows where it goes from there Fair, fair enough I want to close with this uh, on a fun note Bill we loved your WWE 24 special you talked about it in your Hall of Fame speech how grueling it was in your comeback to get your body into that shape and keep it there for for how many months that comeback was so what does that next week after WrestleMania 33 look like? Are you sleeping in, ordering fast food? I mean, to to come down from that, you must have been like, man, I need a cheeseburger now. Uh, I was eating cheeseburgers throughout. The one thing I do and don't do is I don't diet. I don't. I care about what I look like to a point, but I'm I'm not a bodybuilder. I'm a I'm a meathead that shoves as much protein and carbohydrates in his mouth as humanly possible. Um, <laughs> The, the the problem with my comeback was that, you know, and I never made a big deal about it, but I mean, in, in, in July of that year, at the end of July, I almost cut my leg off with a chainsaw. Ooh. And then four weeks after that, middle of, of August, I get a, a scope. I tore my meniscus on my opposite leg. And then six weeks later, I'm training to come back after 12 years to wrestle Brock Lesnar in my underwear in front of millions of people. <laughs> so, I mean, I was, I, I, I was caught between a rock and a hard place from the beginning. Oh, and let's just talk about initially my first match was in January and then it was moved up to, to August or to October. So yeah, it was, it was tough. Hey, you pulled it off. Well, Bill, we're excited to see you back on Forged in Fire, Knife or Death, Tuesday nights on History, 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. Bill, thanks so much for the time. It's been a pleasure going down the road with you, and congratulations on everything. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate it greatly. And like I say, tune in Tuesday nights, History Channel, Knife or Death. Be there or you're next. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate it. it. Thank you. 
hey, a lot of good stuff coming out of Goldberg these days. I mean, look, I pop for all the all the the prime dad moments there that he's providing his young son Gage. But how about the little you know little industry nuggets there? What'd you like from that? Yeah, that was interesting. I didn't necessarily think Brock Lesnar played as much of a role um, in that storyline or in the return of Goldberg as he said that he did. I kind of figured they just said, hey, Brock, you ultimately get to beat Goldberg, you know, and win the title and then keep it for a year. You know, like, how does that sound? That's kind of how I figured it went. Uh, But truthfully, he did have to job, you know, once one on one and then again in the Royal Rumble, right, getting eliminated by him. So, yeah, I was pretty impressed by that. Yeah, I mean, to hear that Brock essentially went to the boss, you know, whether that's, you know, Vince and Triple H or, or one of and just sort of pushed. I need a big name opponent. This could be the guy. You know, you're going to have to mend some fences. By the way, that's what Triple H does. He mends fences. He gets people back into the picture if that was, in fact, him who pulled this off. But, I mean, look, we saw Goldberg's WWE 24 episode, which saw him and Vince hugging a really cool moment right there. To see him give that type of credit to Brock was cool. You know, we talk about it a lot in the show. Not a lot of people like working with Brock. It doesn't seem to be that easy. It seemed to be really easy for the two of them. So that was pretty interesting to see that. But to reference that Hall of Fame speech again, man, he gave a lot of people love and people that I didn't necessarily expect. I didn't expect, Adam, that he was going to tell me, oh, yeah, Steve Austin, he's probably my best friend in the world. Like, I didn't see that one coming. No, that was surprising. And that actually really surprised me. I thought he was a little um, – you didn't ask him whether he copied Austin. But he made sure we knew he didn't copy Austin. I found that a little, not strange, but it it just seems like that's something that he hears a lot and wants to get out there on any potential mention of that. I found that interesting. And also, you know, bringing up Hulk Hogan at the end, certainly they worked together extensively, obviously, in WCW and for a short period of time in WWE after they bought out the company. Um, I think... I'm I'm not of the belief that everyone deserves a second chance for everything they do, right? A lot of people do things wrong and they're so wrong that they don't necessarily deserve it. But when you have someone like Hulk Hogan and you have Goldberg saying, I'm not saying just put him right back in the company, let him talk to the guys, right? That locker room is something special, something we really don't know about. If it's coming from someone like Goldberg, I think maybe WWE should listen. No, no question about it. I thought that was good the way he played out. He's like, look, I'm, you know, who am I to judge? I'm not the guy who says the fans should be okay with this or that Vince should be okay with this, but give that guy a chance to work his way back in. I, I like that a lot. Uh, I, you know, again, I have to say it again. I, I wasn't a big Goldberg guy. It really never was. I, I even enjoyed that comeback with Lesnar, but it wasn't like I was like popping nostalgia like I am when NWO came out during the Sting Triple H match a couple years ago at 31. You know, of course, I'm just popping uncontrollable for that. But Goldberg is really, like I said, won me over. I like to hear all the all the good things he's saying about a lot of people. I thought it was cool that, you know, he'd never met Austin during that prime run. They never even crossed paths once. And his whole idea of what we te- touched on there of him sort of throwing out the joke at the Hall of Fame speech about, hey, br- you know, Steve, we have a similar look and all that. He threw out a similar joke to Roman Reigns, and it didn't come up in the time allotted I had in that interview. But did you hear that part of his speech? We know that Goldberg protects his spear, meaning... He really likes to protect the idea, not that he invented it, but he's the guy that made the spear a move, calling it that. I've asked him in the past, you know, whether it's Edge or Rhino with the gore or Roman or whoever, you know, even Charlotte Flair using it. Do you have respect for anybody else? He's, that's the one area he's always been pretty cocky with in that. And I don't know if you heard in that Hall of Fame speech, but he called out Roman pretty hardcore and was like, you know, the spear move became very easy to copy and to steal and then said, right, Roman Reigns. And I don't think Roman was still there at the time. In fact, 
you and I were at a certain uh, uh, restaurant watering hole where we have proof Roman Reigns wasn't there at the time. So I know you <laughs> didn't. I know you didn't hear that in real time. But I love talking always about the the most stiffest spears Goldberg has hit. I brought up that Christian one where Christian was wearing the green pants and he got basically folded up into a suitcase. You, Adam Silverstein, whether it's you know Nunzio, like he mentioned, do you have one favorite spear of his? The Christian one is actually the one that stood out to me. But you have to remember, I didn't watch WCW, really. I mean, I did. I would tune in. I knew what was going on. But I talk about not being a Goldberg fan. I, I didn't watch the product. I, I didn't get what he was about. It didn't. I was like, why is he so good? Oh, he does four. Like, he's like Goldberg then, especially in the first hundred, you know, matches or whatever, is like kind of like Lesnar now three moves and you're out. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. He looks cool, right? They chant his name like it was good. But I wasn't a big enough fan to be able to tell you that I've seen more than 20 Goldberg Spears in my life and half of them were WCW and the other half were probably in WWE. Hey, shout out to Paul Heyman for taking that Goldberg Spear. Remember that right in the beginning of that program, late yes. 2016 on Raw, Rusev came in and got jackhammered. Then Heyman took a, took a pretty stiff looking spear there. I mean, you got to give Paul Heyman that credit. He'll get involved when he needs to and make it look good. That was a good moment for that. But anyway, great talking to Goldberg overall. Hey, let's let's keep the fun ship moving here. Let's get back into some good sound. We got the voices of WWE. Heck, these two combined might host every single show going today, and we'll talk to them about it. We have... Renee Young and Corey Graves coming up. But before then, we've got The Miz. This is a quick one from the Hall of Fame red carpet, but I think you're going to enjoy. Oh, yeah. Mike The Miz. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure being here. Hey, I'm going to ask you about your newborn daughter, and I'm proud of you one second. But the fans want to hear about the most must-see WrestleMania main event in history, 27. Can you relive that with us? I thought you were about to talk about uh, WrestleMania 34 because the match that I am will be the main event. It'll be the most must-see match in WrestleMania history. Whenever you put three of the top superstars in all of WWE and Finn Balor, Seth Rollins, and The Miz, you can't stop us. Hey, the card's been sold already, Mike. We're exactly. not looking for more I don't, I don't need to sell anyone on it. It's just one of those uh, mentality that you have when you're at WrestleMania and you feel the energy, the electricity of the crowd at Hall of Fame and the whole week leading up to WrestleMania. It just gets you in the mood. Not a lot of people have pinned John Cena at WrestleMania, though. Come on. I have. I have done that, and uh, it was one of the most uh, amazing experiences uh, of my WWE career, you know, to go into WrestleMania as WWE champion, to walk out as WWE champion, as the bad guy, as people, the, the person that people boo. That doesn't happen ever, and it did with me because I make people believe. That's very true. Congratulations on being a newborn father. Thank have you... you Annoyed your friends to the point where they're like, no more pictures. It's yes. so cute. I have annoyed my friends, anyone on the on the on footage. Uh, I've annoyed interviews. I've annoyed everyone with showing people pictures of my. I'm just so proud. It's one of those. I, it's it, it's exactly what everyone has told me about having a child. It's just something that you. It's indescribable. I can't describe how proud I am of this little girl, and she's really just came here and just eats. Sleeps and goes to the bathroom. Fatherhood and daddy cleans it up. Oh, oh, hey, how about that? That's right. Fatherhood changes a man. Will fatherhood change Mike the Miz in the ring? Uh, you, you know, it's one thing is for sure. It opened up a whole new part of my heart that I didn't even know I had. So is there a softer side of the Miz? Maybe. Uh, to close, one time when you weren't soft, I think it's the greatest moment in Miz on the mic history. It was talking smack Daniel Bryan. And it's now full circle now with Daniel Bryan is coming back. Circle? I, think it is is. It, I don't. I don't think it's full circle. To be completely honest with you, he's on SmackDown. I'm on Raw. 
And it it's, it's just so happens to be very convenient that I was on SmackDown for an entire year and he, I couldn't do anything. He couldn't do anything to me, I couldn't do anything to him. And then all of a sudden I leave and go to Monday Night Raw and guess who's back? <gasps> Daniel Bryan! Well, besides him, I have to think you're the happiest that he's back. Am I happy? No, I, I mean, I, you know, good for him that he's back. Congratulations, bravo. In hindsight, he maybe should have took a swipe at you that night. Let's be honest. Yeah, the, the thing is, he was the one, what is it? Is it it's, it's fight for your dreams, right? He wasn't really fighting for his dreams when he walked away like a coward on Talking Smack, now was he? That moment that was so real, I think it... That, but that's real, though. Think about it. Fight for your dreams. Fight for your dreams. His playbook goes a little like this. It's go out there, get sympathy, talk about your wife, cry a little, and get your ass beat. That's it. Wow, high heat. It's not high heat. It's just one of those situations. You, I think that you moment, get me boiling up now. I think that moment was so real, you got the show canceled eventually. Probably. I mean, if I, well, if you notice, when I left, the show got canceled. I went to Raw. Sorry, I couldn't be on it anymore. Get you your ratings. Congratulations. Great seeing you. Renee Young sits down with us, WrestleMania 34 Access. The, uh, you know, every voice of WWE, I like to call it the voice of WWE, but you're the voice of almost everything in WWE. Cool. And, that's, and that's a strong positive if I say that to Did you. Did you say that to Corey Graves already? Was he over here? He has not been over here. All right, well, screw that guy. Yeah, you're right, I am the voice of everything WWE. You have, you have better hair than Corey Graves. Oh, so with a, uh, that, you know what? He kind of stole my look a little bit with taking that platinum. He I, went platinum shortly after I went platinum, and I think he's trying to send a message. But I feel message. like you get a different style daily. Sure, Almost. that's true. Okay. I don't just have one pomp. I got, I got looks exactly. ready to serve. Well, Renee Young, every time you get a really awesome show and I get into it, I feel like <laughs> I'm just trying to take it away from you. What the heck's going on here? Dude, I wish that I knew it's the heartache of uh, what exists here. I feel like as soon as the ball gets rolling, it, these, uh, they get torn away from me. All right. right now it's you, a bummer. Right now you're working on Backstage Pass. Is that the correct name? And is it still live or has that been taken away? Come on. Well, so... I guess I, I was doing backstage pass, which was something that I really kind of started doing on my own because I feel like there's something there of using Instagram and being able to go live. And, you know, I have like two plus million followers on Instagram. So hey, why hey, not? Hey. Yeah, I mean, not way? a big deal, guys. No big deal. <laughs> um, but why not be able to broadcast to them sort of the content that I want to do? But it's a tricky thing. Is trying it still to still active, though? Just... So the last two weeks I have not done it. Um, but I think that's mostly because the build-up to WrestleMania, it's a little shoddy trying to do something live backstage right before the show and being a little careful of what I'm getting. Well, we love it, and we love uh, Road Dog saying he's going to commit Harry <laughs> Carey on SmackDown <laughs> and saying a couple other things that uh, I popped for. That and was I, and my first thought was, I hope it's not the end of the show now. <laughs> no, it, it had nothing to do with that. This is merely me just being like, all right, I'm going to give it a second and then like maybe do like a little revamp or figure out what to do with it. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like there's definitely something there that I want to sort of flush it out maybe get a logo made i don't know maybe uh, make it feel a little more maybe professional some maybe some merch who knows uh but yeah i mean i'm gonna kind of continue to to work away at it maybe i'll bring it back uh, i'll do a, a maybe i'll do a baby version before wrestlemania hey, that? a baby one that? we're talking great moments in renee young hosting wwe shows history oh yeah okay right there yes we got to talk about talking smack we sure do daniel bryan and the miz august 2016 Oh my gosh! Uh, Did you look this the up before? The Mohegan Sun Casino in Uncasville, Connecticut. He's weird I like that. I was backstage that day, Renee. Okay? You oh, were. That's why. Can Never I give mind. you a little inside sauce? Talk to me. I got the sauce. All right. Are you, you ready? Got for the this? sauce. I talked to the Miz about an hour before he exploded. Okay. And he told me, you know, in real life, 
I'm sort of being underused. I'm really upset about it. Why yeah. can't I get pushed to the top? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I go, wow, this guy's really intense. I can't wait to tell my friends. Yeah. No, I didn't need to tell my friends because they he saw told them. T- you were there. Just please, I'm, I'm, tell me to shut up. Talk to me about that moment. In time that was such, that was just such a pivotal moment for the show, of course. I mean, I think that's what really kind of set the tone for what Talking Smack could be. Uh, also, just kind of like opening opening up that space for people and then being able to turn it into what they needed to. I mean, that really re like breathed a new life into Miz's career from that point. And it, it did stem obviously from so much truth for Miz. Uh, and he'll tell anybody that when he thinks he's not being used or he wants to be used in a different way. Like he is very vocal about that, but you give him a live show and they're like, here we go. We're going to do something. What are you going to do? He's like, all right, I'll be on there. I'm like, I wasn't, I wasn't sure where that was going to go. I had no idea how to navigate it. Um, but yeah, it, and like also like just him and Daniel Bryan face to face and the stuff that he was saying to Bryan at the time was obviously such a sensitive subject about Bryan not being able to wrestle and seeing that look in Bryan's face when Miz was, you know, really telling him the truth about where he was at the time. It was like a really heartbreaking moment. And that's when I felt like I wanted to get in because I was like, either someone's going to cry or someone's going to get punched in the face. Um, so <laughs> Somebody yeah. worked themselves into a shoot right there. That was, I mean, come on. No, I know. And, and it now was with like, Daniel Bryan coming back, all the, of course, us as fans, <sighs> journalists, were all pointing back to that moment. So. And you've got to imagine, I mean, at some point, these two have to have uh, something, right? It's to the point that it's so, there's been so much build to it without Daniel Bryan being cleared. Yes. The little moments on Raw and yep. SmackDown that have happened. Even o- little moments when Miz will pass Brian and just gives him a look. I'm like, it's exactly. always there. There's always this underlying current of their pure hatred. Yeah, that it's, <laughs> a, that it's a feud that it maybe saying main eventing WrestleMania, who knows, but it's so good. It's and it's so, so natural. Good. And, they're, and they're just perfect polar opposites in that it's way. It's so good. It's so real. And even like seeing the stuff with, uh, you know, with Miz and Cena bringing the women in for that. I mean, you imagine being able to do something like that and having Brie out there too. Like there's just, there's so many underlying stories between those two people or those four people, but yeah, it's amazing. All right. You handle interviews as well as anybody in WWE on screen. And there's this polarizing thing that happens at the end of interviews when the person walks off after doing something despicable mm-hmm. and the camera zooms in on Renee Young's face <laughs> with a look that's just like, what the heck was Justice. that? What do I do? God. Some people hate that. I love that because it just sort of got used to it. You must be knowing that some people hate that. So when you're delivering that moment, I mean, how much thought are you putting into, I want to make the perfect face to sum up what I'm feeling on the inside? Um, yeah, I think it's like it's like acting 101 where like in my head, I'm, I just I live in that moment. And then depending on which despicable thing has been said, whether it's toward me or toward somebody else, is just you have a lot of curse words in your head toward that person. It gets you the look. <laughs> So speaking about voices of WWE, if I'm correct, and I could be wrong, but you started your career working side by side with Mauro Ronaldo. I did, yeah, yeah. We love Mauro. Mauro's great. We love him. We just had him on the show uh, recently. Obviously, a great advocate for mental health and yep. an incredible, obviously, play-by-play. He's amazing. Man. He's so special and unique at the thing that he does. And for me to be able to have worked with him, I mean, I've seen so many different versions of, like, Mauro working, doing, like, a, an MMA radio show to him and I doing a post WWE show in Toronto together, but it was like, he's just this, I mean, it's like how you just spit out, like you're in Uncasville, Connecticut or whatever. Like he knows that about everything. He is a wrestling and MMA encyclopedia. My brain does not work like that at all. 
Um, but yeah, being able to work with somebody like him and having him come in here and join WWE, uh, I think it's great for WWE to have somebody of that caliber out here that knows what he does and adds a real authenticity to what he's doing. I mean, the way he calls matches, you bring somebody that's called a Mayweather match, it's like, dude, come on. He's a badass. What I find incredible, too, is he, f he, f he was great on SmackDown, obviously. Yeah. But he found a home with NXT. Yeah, and I think, like, the difference between doing, like, SmackDown and NXT, and especially for somebody like him and knowing the way that his brain works, I think that that's, being at NXT is, like, a better environment as far as, um, you know, being able to tell those stories and having a little bit more freedom to do what you want to do. You what know? he does. He does. Yeah, exactly. And I think like, I mean, everyone does really. But um, yeah, I think for Moro to be able to be at NXT and kind of make that his, you know, he can kind of keep it to himself. Nobody else is really uh, touching, touching that. So I think I think that's a great spot for him to be in. Who knows where that guy's going to end up? Because we all know that he can literally do anything. So the fact that we have somebody of his caliber at NXT calling matches is like we're lucky. All right, we talked about the extension of the Renee Young brand across all aspects of WWE. That includes the, the reality show circuit with yeah. you know, Total Divas. That allows you to open up a certain door to your life yeah. that you're making the choice to do. So is there ever any times maybe the camera turns off and you're thinking to yourself, man, I wonder what that's going to look like when that comes out. Oh, yeah. I'm like that all the time, first of all. I mean, I'm like that after I like do an interview. I'm like, did I say anything weird? Was that inappropriate? I don't really know. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, when I was doing Total Divas, it uh, – it's almost, did you guys ever uh, bartend or serve or anything? Do you ever have like that nightmare of like, oh my God, I've got to get to my table and yes. serve my table. It's like I that. I the drive-thru at McDonald's. That's another so nightmare. So it's, pro it's probably itself, like right? that. Exactly. <laughs> where I would wake up in the middle of the night and be like, oh my God, are we still filming? And I it would like always be in my head. It's very odd having cameras follow you around so much. And, you know, it was like a, just an interesting spot for me and Dean uh, showing our relationship um, because that's not really something that we do. And with us, we're not doing the show uh, any longer. And I think that's probably for the best. Um, just, yeah, for, for us and especially him. I mean, he's obviously a very private person where I'm not. So it's like <laughs> walking that line of obviously I, d I don't want to put him in a bad spot, but I also need to be self-serving and do my own thing. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I was going to ask. How <laughs> difficult was it to get him to do that? And then on top of that, like, hey, I want to take an Instagram picture with you. Like, how yeah. much do you have to pull his arm to be able to be somewhat semi-public? Um, Very difficult. Yeah, yeah, very difficult. But in a way that's, like, incredibly respectful. Sure. That, like, I I love that he's not on any social media. So it's it's great to be with somebody that, like, how much do we just sit and, like, look at our phones and not pay attention? I can't. I don't do that when I'm with him <laughs> because you're incredibly aware that he's, like, what what is this Instagram? Why are you on this? And I'll get like annoyed. I'm like, this person said this thing to me on Twitter. And he's like, so delete it. Why are you on it? I'm like, God, you're so right. Um, but yeah, trying to get him to do more public things. I mean, yeah, like trying when we walked in to do Total Divas. Um, yeah, it was it was tough. It was tough because I, I mean, I know what especially he's, you know, he's the character Dean Ambrose who would not have a wife, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Lunatic Fringe is right alone. Let's, let's it, exactly, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was hard It was hard for us filming, too, because he stayed as Dean Ambrose. So we never really let that wall down, I didn't really feel. Um, but I think that was all by design, and I can't say that I blame blame him or WWE for any of that. Uh, and for Instagram, if I try to take an Instagram picture of them, fat chance. <laughs> it's not happening. Yeah, anytime I've, I've posted, I don't post about us will very he, often. But will he but take Instagram pictures of you? 
Oh. <laughs> Did you say, hey, <laughs> hey, hubby, can you please? So I want to get a I picture do. in front of this brick wall, you know? I, like, yes, whatever. I will do that sometimes. I am really bad with posting pictures like that. I'm, I have a kind of a lame Instagram. I'm like, this is a band I like. I don't know. Um, but I'll, we, yeah, we'll do that sometimes. I'm like, can you just like take a picture of me like doing this thing? It is the worst experience because he, first of all, he doesn't know angles. He does not know my good spots. He doesn't know how to find the light. He's like, it's fine. Here you go. It's fine. You got one. I'm like, no, that's not, that does not look good. Not my good side. He's a we simple got, man. He wrestles in jeans. Put Come a on. filter on it. He is a simple man. You're right. All right well, a simple yet complex I man. I want to close talking to you here and it's been, it's been great. Thank you for your time. I'm the optimist, the, the powers of positivity on the show. So can you are one of the biggest power couples in WWE. How did this? How did this happen? How did this meet? <laughs> you got some cute story for us. If you saw him wink at you for out of, out of the corner of a ring, and you just knew it in that moment. You know what? I no, I, like I feel like so we've been together for it's actually almost our one year wedding anniversary on Monday. Congratulations! Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like as soon as him and I like we just we talked so much. We would like text and we would use this app Voxer and like message each other all day. Uh, and then, yeah, at one point I was like, uh-oh, I really like this person. What's <laughs> happening? But as soon as we like ever actually took the step to like hang out and like have a date, we've just been together ever since. And it's there just it been like that. Like we just have a great balance. And uh, yeah, we just we love each other. Any truth to the rumor that at WrestleMania 6 when you were in the crowd, you and Edge was there as well, that you two were there on, like, a middle school date. <laughs> I couldn't imagine what him and I would have been like if we met as kids. We probably would have been pretty different kids. <laughs> Maybe. It would have been a nice world. It would have been cute. It would have been a great story for the network. It right? would have been a great be, story. I mean, we really can up. make something up if you want. <laughs> All right, Renee Young, WWE's best hair and WWE's busiest voice. Thank you yes. so much. Yes, oh, my God, friends. thank you. I thought you were asking me a question of who has the best hair, but you're saying I have I'm, the best I'm giving, hair. I'm going to give you that crown, all Respect. right? Thank you for your time. Enjoy thank WrestleMania you. week. Yeah, you guys, too. Thank you. Thank you. Corey Graves sits down with us, and this is always a, a pleasure to talk to you because I, I you know, I don't, I don't want to puff your bag here on the podcast because we got to, you know, if you tease the bag, you get the mess on this podcast. We want to be careful there. <laughs> but I will. I always tell you, look, you're doing Jesse Ventura type things on the air. That's the greatest compliment I can give you. So congratulations on your success. Thank you. I mean, you're the man right here. But as I puff you up, now i got to tear you down. Tear me down. Because we had Renee Young sitting in the same chair before you. And she says, not only does she have the best hair in WWE, but you stole yours from her. I did. Your thoughts? I'm not, I'm not going to even argue that. I decided uh, I wanted to be platinum blonde like my friend Renee Young. And I just went for it. This slowly but surely, step by step. I'm not quite as platinum as she is. Uh, I think I do it better. I think I have better overall hair than Renee. But I will. I'll let her have the credit for the inspiration. It's very, you know, listen. It's very baby face of you. Come on, yeah, hey, come on. No, listen. Uh, see, I got to. I can keep you guessing. I got to throw things off once in a while. Got to change it up. Cause, you know, is this a work shoot? Is Booker T around here? What's yeah, going no, on Booker's here? right. We just fought. We were at Starbucks. Oh, okay. he, he caught me on the street and he uh, he threw some hands at me. We're we're good now. Uh, just don't let him know I'm here. And then keep looking over my shoulder all the time. <laughs> So, I mean, not to keep it on hair, but this was a big change for you in your career. Some guys get new looks. Undertaker put a do-rag on and got on a motorcycle at one point. Yeah. This is the portion of the Corey Graves career where we're going very much much brighter. I like here. to refer to this as a midlife crisis. Um, I did it right around my, my birthday. And I just got bored with myself uh, as a whole. I've already tattooed myself beyond repair. Um, so I was like, what else can I change? What have I not done? I've never... Uh, well, I don't say never because when I was a young a youngster, I had some different hair colors. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. But the trick was doing it step by step rather than just showing up with the you know bleach blonde hair. Uh, it was a process. If you notice, it was about a, a four or six week 
thing. And now, now I'm I love I'm the at. inside baseball right now. I'm all over this. Yeah, Come yeah. Because um, I, you know, you can't surprise. Some people don't react too well to change. So if you just slowly kind of fit it in, then they're like, oh yeah, you, you look that way the whole time. What was the genesis of the tattoos? What was the first tattoo? Why'd you get it? And how did this whole thing? My start? first one uh, is a cross on my leg. I got when I was 15 years old. Um, with parents' permission, or yeah, that? yeah, my I, my grades dropped, and my parents were like, "Hey, if you uh, get your grades back, I was always a straight A student." And they said, "If you bring your grades back up, we'll take you to get a tattoo." And I was okay, cool. So All I right. did that. It's on my leg. Um, and beyond that, though, I've always had this weird fascination, and I always take it back to like uh, the, the WWE video games back. What was it? No Mercy or whatever. Oh, you yeah. Create create your own wrestler. I always gave myself sleeves. I I, I thought. Guys with tattoo sleeves look cool. And Chicks like them. Yeah, yeah. Um, my wife doesn't. <laughs> she just has. She just got her sleeves done. So um, all right, all right. Yeah, but um, no, it's always something I just thought looked cool. There's no like, no message. I'm not trying to be like, oh, hey, this is, stands for this. I just thought it looked cool. It's like wearing a, you know, it's fashion. All right, all right. Well, what you're doing on the mic, we love. You get me to pop. You're so sort of quick and witty that I can't assume that there's somebody there feeding you the line. So I'm going to give you the credit that almost everything you're saying is coming out of the mouth of Graves. But do you ever pop Gorilla or the truck? Oh, yeah. The same way you do. Yeah, my goal, I, I play a little game with myself. Every time I'm on the air, it's Cole and then Phillips. If I can pop them, then I know <laughs> it's funny. That's how I judge things because I'm always saying such nonsensical stuff. And Cole's been in this. He's been here for 20 years. He's seen and done everything. So he he's stone faced, man. He's a machine. So when I get him, that's when I know I'm like, all right, that was a probably probably a good one. Do you rib him for those P P ninety X pictures he put out a couple years ago? I mean, no, on, that was a, he that was, was jacked. He looked great. The face was like there was a little little bit of a you know, come to my window. Hey, you know? listen, listen. It was it was God bless him, man. He like climbs mountains and stuff. Cole does. He oh. he's like a he's more of a machine than anybody right now. You don't you don't get any credit for it, but. Um, and I'm not just saying that because he's my boss. I mean, <laughs> you may, yeah, you may, you may or may not be just. Yeah, I, I did. I just, yeah. Hopefully, someone sends him this so he can know that I said nice things about him. All right, you got a new foil, Jonathan Coachman. Yeah, comes from ESPN. I, yep. I've known him a long time. Take him back. Uh, yeah, take him back. I mean, we're we're seeing um, you know, some some back and forth that uh, that I feel like is uh is is maybe feeling a little real there. I mean, there's um, some there's some good like like coach, you're killing me here. What the heck is this nonsense? Yeah, you're well, saying? coach is the the coolest guy that coach has ever met. <laughs> um, <laughs> And yeah, no, he he's he's we're we're still establishing a uh, a chemistry, but I gave him a few weeks where I was gonna let him kind of ease into the water, and then I realized, okay, you know what you're doing, just be ready. And he still often isn't. And I my favorite thing to do is is crush him right before we go into a commercial break, because then he can't respond. That's a, that's a real skill. It's to to listen to the count of the producer and be like, oh wait, nine, eight, uh, boom, coach, you're dead. All right, thanks. Random thing I found interesting, watching Ride Along yeah. with Byron Saxon and Michael Cole. So on TV, not knowing Michael Cole personally, seem as very straight-laced guy. Yeah. But he, I mean, you are always racking on Byron Saxon. He joined along step-for-step step with you, it seemed like, at least the parts that they cut for that show. Is he like that all the time, or is Byron just so easy that it brought it out of him? No. So Cole's always like that. Cole, Cole is like, again, you see him, he's the straight, straight-laced guy. Right voice of wwe he's he's the most vanilla guy they're supposed you know that's that's his role but the dude behind the microphone he's one of my closest friends now because we're both complete degenerates um and byron yes byron sort of brings that on himself i think there are people that have never made fun of anyone that spend a few minutes with byron and you can't <laughs> not but that said 
credit where it's due. I love Byron as much as anybody. He's one of the best dudes in the entire world. I have so much love for that dude, but it's a lot of fun to make fun of him. So. Heading into Mania 34, obviously one of the, the biggest storylines, the biggest hooks for the show is Daniel Bryan returning. And right. having had your career cut short for similar reasons, I'm sure you're happy for him. Is there, is there any bitter? Is there any like bitters? What? How are those? Yeah, how do you balance those? Feelings? So it was that 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 whole return was pretty nuts for me, and especially knowing I found out earlier that day that he was coming back. They announced it. I'm sitting ringside, and so I I had the entire roller coaster of emotions in about six hours. I went from okay, I hate this. This sucks. This isn't fair. N- never mad at Brian. Right. Obviously, he he's you know fighting for his dream again. Um, so for me, it was definitely emotional. Like when he came out and to hear the, the roar of the crowd, I was stoked for him as a friend and as a performer and knowing to get what he wants to do. Um, but at the same point, I'm like, wow, now I get to talk about someone else. You know, it was it was kind of definitely bittersweet. But uh, I took a week or so, actually, because, you know, a lot of friends kind of figured it would, it would mess with me. And um, I took about a week, week and a half of like pretty solid reflection. And I was like, you know what? He always is the best in the ring. That's what Brian does. Brian is... Go, never not going to be one of the best competitors and, and beloved. I think I'm better on this side of things. Not, I mean, it took a while to figure out and accept, but I feel like this is my role. I've kind of embraced it. I had a friend of mine pointed out to me, he said, you know, I think of how many hundreds of wrestlers there are between WWE and just the, the indies and wherever. And he said, you are the most televised guy in WWE. You're the only one trusted to do both major shows. And he said, you're one of one. And I went, I guess you gotta go look at that. it that way. That's pretty rad. You know what I mean? I get, you get caught up in the bubble and it, work is work no matter what you do. But uh, to look at it that way, it kind of gave me a cool perspective and it definitely, uh, how long helped. did it take for that to come to you? Because with Daniel Bryan, as we've seen, it's been, it's, it's been a struggle for him to be on the sidelines, but mm-hmm. be so close yeah. to the action. Oh yeah. And you, I'm sure it was the same, at least at the beginning, 100%. but when did that switch flip for you? Uh, I couldn't give you a, a an exact time point um i definitely went through it though I, it was it was worse that i was calling the matches of guys that i wrestled you know what i mean so it was really strange and my guys i traveled with rollins and ambrose and reigns and all those guys that we came up through fcw with and i I'd taken bumps with uh, so it was it was extra tough sometimes to see my buddies doing the thing that we were all supposed to do but now i think it actually lends itself to me as a commentator because I have personal relationships with these guys, I know these guys on a different level than just oh hey tell me what you tell me about you. I, I have real true emotion behind them. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, I, I don't know if there was an exact moment where I went okay yeah I'm all right with this now, but I think at this point I mean I've signed like four new contracts, so I guess I'm going to be here. So for I guess a while. Just, yeah. <laughs> all right, cl- let's close appeal to the to the mark side of us. We like to rate matches and, yeah, and do yeah. that whole nerd stuff. You've you've now got a repertoire of matches you've called here. Mm-hmm. What's the match that 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 you think is the best one you've ever called that 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 if there is a five-star match that's it mm. i was ringside for it that that's was that. a tough one um i usually only go on what what people respond back to me i i never watch anything i do back i'm my own worst critic i hate it i freak out uh i think the revival and gargano and champa yes. take over i think it was toronto it was a two out of three falls match Survivor and Series weekend. Great. okay yeah. and the credits all on those guys and that's to me i get to be a fan that's the emotion in my voice, unless I'm being ridiculous, which obviously I think that translates when that happens. Um, if if the, these guys hook me, I'm a fan, and I just get to convey emotion like hopefully every fan's feeling. So off the top of my head, that's definitely the one where I'm like, man, that that was. And, and the Royal Rumbles are fun to call too. I've I've called two of them now, and my favorite 
of all time is Bobby Heenan, 1992. Yes. Not fair to Flair. Um, it, to have that much time and the, that many characters to just roll. And that's all you're doing. You, you can't script this stuff. I mean, you're just you're talking for, you know, however long about however many guys. It's the best. But, um, yeah, off the top of my head, Champa and, and Gargano and hey, Revival. We'll take that. That's, that, that, that was a great Not match. Bad one. Corey See? Graves. Enjoy WrestleMania weekend. Thank you so much for your time, sir. I'm going to go pee because I'm not going to be able to do it at all Sunday. Thanks. Wow. So much I want to get into from this trio of chats because the prevailing theme here is ultimately Daniel Bryan. And look, Adam, fourth wall removed. Do we get a little turned off at times when we get these WWE inter superstar interviews? And somebody dips into the kayfabe cup, right? Whether that's because they don't know better, because they're young, or because they're trying so hard to protect an angle to sell the show. Yes, we get a little bit annoyed. There's guys who epically do it. People like Paul Heyman. You know it's coming. You know he's going back to kayfabe. And he's so entertaining at it that he pulls it off. The Miz felt like he did that with Dan O'Brien here, and it still was damn good audio. Yeah, it was. I mean, even last year when we interviewed him, we did – probably 15 minutes, I think. He was kayfabe, or I wouldn't even say kayfabe, he was cutting a promo the entire time rather than being himself. And it would be interesting one day to get an interview with The Miz and just talk without that, like just toning it down from the 11 to like a seven and say, all right, you know, Miz, Mike, let's talk. And, you know, let's talk about your career in WWE. Um, but I found him, I always find him good, especially in a short burst like that where, you know, he's doing a quick shotgun with you and moving on to the next guy. But man, I gotta be honest. I think we did a lot of really good interviews um, at WWE Radio Row, you know, ahead of Axis, ahead of WrestleMania. Two of my favorites were Renee Young and yes. Corey Graves. No question about it. I wanna get to them one second just to close on the Miz. It is crazy on the Hall of Fame red carpet because you don't know who you're getting. It's a second by second thing. So it's not like you've got these great questions always in the holster ready. You see somebody emerge on the red carpet. A lot of times when it might be your turn, then the WWE camera jumps in and it's Renee Young actually stealing them from you. Or maybe you think you're next to a guy standing next to you and suddenly Dana Warrior just suddenly walks in and you got to have, you know, three, four good questions. So it was a little bit hilarious that the Miss, which was a theme that night, just try to, you know, talk to people about their biggest WrestleMania moment on the eve of WrestleMania, you know. Miz almost didn't want to go back to that Mania match. I almost wanted to drop like an Alex Riley reference just to get his attention there. He was he was sort of fine going, yeah, yeah, who cares about that? I want to talk about this IC triple threat. That's why I was like, hey, Miz, look, you know, the, the, the card is sold, brother. You don't have to, you know, my nine ninety nine is the checks in the mail, okay? You don't you don't need to, to sell another one here. Well, what I thought was interesting was having these back-to-back and Renee, I mean, Daniel Bryan talks about the Talking Smack segment all the time. The Miz talks about that Talking Smack segment all the time. You guys know the one I'm talking about. But being able to discuss it with Renee two-on-one, um, I thought it was enlightening to, to hear her perspective from – like she really couldn't do anything about it. Like she's she's not going to punch Miz. She's not going to stop him, right? So she's kind of helpless almost there. Um, and just really everything that she talked about I, I found pretty interesting. Yeah, she's a really – strong asset for the company that I don't think always gets the the full credit that she can literally host anything and she's pretty yes, much top anything. shelf at it anytime she gets these original shows you know we had some fun talking with her about everything that she does good just gets cancelled randomly sometimes because it's so good and that's ultimately the point talking smack was so good in that prime run Yes, because Dan O'Brien would just run his mouth and say like absolutely ridiculous things that that probably are not 
WWE approved, but ultimately that was the theme of the whole show, just saying unscripted, ridiculous things, and Renee was really good in those moments. Like, we'll never forget when Brian said this. Hey, it's better than Great Balls of Fire. Touche. It's like, yeah, we'll just rip the name of the next coming pay-per-view, and Renee was really good, and to hear her, her in that moment was cool, because I think she just walked off set during that, right? At some point, she was just like, I'm out of here. And you never even know today, because that was a loose show, how much of that actually was scripted or not. That's true. And by the way, we sat up a lot straighter when Renee walked over. Like we were, it was tired. It was like 6 a.m. or, or at whatever at that point. And we're like, oh, Renee, we've wanted to talk, talk to her for you know, like two years now, right? She came by, definitely classed up the joint. I actually really enjoyed um, being able to ask her. And again, our, all these interviews were completely off the cuff, obviously, nothing planned. Um, about Dean taking Instagram pictures of her. That was like <laughs> maybe my favorite answer the entire uh, entire. Because, here's the thing about Dean. Let's be honest. I mean, like when you when you get to interview these superstars on the level where it's like your fifth, sixth, and seventh time, you, right. you feel to a certain degree you have a handle at what their real personality is, at what their stage personality is, at what their interview personality is. Sometimes it's, it can be three different depending on the person. Dean is a... Let's be honest, a weird dude in all three of those. Like, I'm sure he's this really great guy, and that's why she's married to him. But, like, he is that different dude. He is just sort of this, like, guy who really right now, like you told us over SummerSlam weekend, would be fine doing death blood matches right now. He's just sort of, you know, wearing the jeans and the wife beater because I think he'd wear that anyway. That's just my this is my two cents right there. Yeah, for sure. And on that note, like, we've interviewed Corey Graves before. But, again, last time it was more in front of a camera, very uh, trying to push his his character. This was the first opportunity we really had to sit down uh, and really get to know him. And I found him, I found what, what I found really extremely interesting is how quickly he and Michael Cole have become legitimate, really good friends. And that Michael Cole, despite his on-screen character, you might think he's a little bit, you know, stick up the ass type of guy in real life. And Corey's like, no, he's a, he's a cut up. You know, this is a legit funny guy that I like to hang out with on the road. And if you watch that ride along episode, you'll get a really good glimpse into that. Yeah, de definitely cool. And it, sometimes you, I don't know, it's hard to read Cole, right? I don't know him. It's really hard to read him. But I don't was, know him at all. Yeah, it was it was cool to see him get his back on there. But you know, Corey Graves just doing top shelf work. And I talked to him in the past where he said, "Look, like you know, the stuff coming out of me on on the air is is ninety percent freestyle. Like you get Vince in the air once in a while telling you to push something, but I think." You got to really realize here, if you're not already a Corey Graves fan, that there's a reason why he's on both shows. He's the best they have going today. Just he's figured out this formula. And even like, let's take Coach for an example. Coach has talked about it, you know, in the rare public interviews he's done since coming back to WWE. The, the the game that Coach used to have mastered as the heel color commentator in 2005 is a lot different than what things have evolved to today. And I think in what today is, Corey Graves seems to have that mastered. He can bring in the references a la Amoro, right? To, to let you know that whether it's pop culture or nostalgia, he's got you covered. Well, look, wait, wait, we love Corey, but he's not at Moro level references yet. And some people, by the way, think Moro is completely over, you know, too far and over the top. So I think Corey sort of has a okay. really good balance there of being cool. But then, you know, on the fly, nothing pre-planned, just calling Booker out or, or just, you know, acting like a heel in the certain spots when he needs to. So that's all. Look, he's operating at a very high level. And, the prevailing thread here in the three interviews, like we said off the top, was Daniel Bryan. So where you moved it all to hear the real talk from Corey, the ex-wrestler who retired due to concussions when we brought up the Daniel Bryan situation. Yeah, I, I thought he had a couple of very interesting perspectives, that being one and that, you know, the fact that he's able to come back, even though it's a different injury and he's not able to do the same thing. He knows that it had him stop and pause and say, oh, that's kind of unfair. But okay, 
you know what, I'm doing something I love and that I'm very good at and that I'm getting a lot of you know, credit for within the company right now. And to, to your prior point on that as well, one of the reasons he's so good at his job right now, and he mentioned it in our interview, he knows all the guys at the top. Like the vast majority of people in WWE and major matches these days are formerly from NXT. They're guys that he worked with, not only in developmental uh, calling their matches more recently, but as a wrestler actually coming up with them. So he knows these guys on a personal level and him being able to call these matches, these are his contemporaries. It's not like he's trying to call Undertaker Austin, although uh, Undertaker Austin, I meant Undertaker Cena, although he did call that match. Um, he's actually calling matches of people he knows and has known for a decade now. Yeah, yeah, that's that's certainly really cool. And I just think the, with the whole concussion thing, it's, it's really interesting. I, I'm glad that he came to the realization that he's already farther as a broadcaster than he probably ever had any potential to be as a wrestler. And maybe, maybe, that, maybe that's a little bit rude, but you know, like I remember him in NXT. He was good. He had a cool look. I didn't think he was going to be like part of the shield, you know, like down the road. But the other thing is it just, the whole Daniel Bryan situation just goes to show right now that it's so early in the game at really understanding concussions. So like in one sense, we're so far advanced from where we were in the eighties and nineties, meaning Wrestlers aren't just going around with undisclosed, you know, undiagnosed head trauma, and then you have really bad moments. I don't have to bring up the names of of how careers and lives get ended. We're in a better spot now that we are, things are so monitored that guys in Corey Graves' spot are told you have to walk away for good. This is not healthy. But at the same time, like we found out with Brian, understanding how brain trauma can heal and understanding how it is diagnosed, we're, we're not really where we need to be, as you can see right now, right? So, yes, Brian sustained a certain level of trauma where he did need to step away, but it seems like he was able, whether it's through healing or just different tests, to find out that, that, that the world could be open to guys who have had this type of abrupt ending. And I don't think we know yet, Adam, how many more guys will end up having a Dana Bryan type story. Yeah, I think there is the potential, certainly, now that Daniel Bryan has proven that he's able to make this comeback. And, you know, we hope it's for another 10 years. But, you know, who knows um, that if this happens to people in the relative near future, that they're they're not completely out, um, that they may have an opportunity to get back. I mean, even if you look at Paige right now, hers is a completely different injury than Daniel Bryan. Hers is a neck issue. And, and that is you know, even more, not even more dangerous, but even more difficult to try to recover from to get back to a point that you're able to wrestle again. But in five, she's so young. In five or six years, they might have a surgery or a technology right. or something that fixes this where all of a sudden we get page round two and we're like, holy crap, you know, this is awesome. So it, it just, it's really taught people that don't like, and I'm not trying to play into his phrase here, but don't count yourself out. Keep fighting for your dream because maybe there is a possibility he's, Kind of brought that to life right Just now. Just look at Shawn Michaels, you know. That's the greatest uh, example right there. All right, let's throw it to our final set of interviews. These are really good here. Talking to NXT superstars Alistair Black and Adam Cole on the eve of that great NXT TakeOver card from New Orleans. WrestleMania access with NXT superstar Alistair Black, who is so cool to have you here. So cool to chat with you. But so cool to have you in NXT because we saw you on the indie scene, fell in love with you. And you didn't really need to change your, your persona, your character that much. If anything, you could even argue it's been enhanced. How has this ride and this journey been for you? Um, pretty incredible. Like, I can't use a different word to describe how this has been. And it's like you said, like, they, uh, 
I didn't need to change that much. Uh, I, I I got here because of that, and uh, that alone is a is a it's a very big compliment for me. But um, the whole ride until this far has been absolutely amazing. The connection with the fans has really what stuck with me because mm. some of that might be you're presented as a good guy as a babyface to a certain degree, but nothing about you seems to <laughs> suggest your character, your persona that. The fans yet have gone over the top mm. to welcome, accept you, and cheer you. Did any of that surprise you in terms of how almost babyface-ish it's been for you? You know, you know, you know what I think. Uh, you know what I think it is. I think that we live in a society nowadays where individualism is praised very much, and if anything that my character um, shows is individualism. The moniker, no man's ever truly good, no man's ever truly evil, came to me when I was like, well, I'm going to present you something, and I'm going to show you something, and you're either going to like it, or you're not going to like it, and that's okay. You don't have to like it, and for those who like it, understand it, and for those who don't understand it, they don't like it, and that's fine. My character is all about being yourself and um, presenting something to society that you either agree with or disagree with, something that I feel is very strong. Uh, it's a very strong presence some, uh, right now. How would you say the name came about? Was there were there was there a list of twenty uh, pieces that were placed together? And what did you think when either you came up with it or when mm-hmm. it was finally presented to you? So um, me and me me and Triple H sparred with a few with a few things, and I, I I pitched a few names. I didn't even pitch like hundreds of. Names. I was very I, I had a very good idea of what I wanted. Wanted wanted the character like uh, to be like, and what what, a, what what I wanted his name to be, and, and drew inspiration from certain things. Um, and we kind of went back and forth a couple times, and all of a sudden we just landed on it. And I was like, "There we go!" And it's 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 part him and it's part me. So we haven't really seen a a character exactly like this. No. So it's not like you're a mix of this guy and this guy. So who is this character? Is he a mixture of of portions of you from from certain aspects of your life, who who is Alistair Black to you? He is a big reflection of my childhood and how I grew up and the convictions that grew along in that childhood up until like my life now. And I took everything from from that and the, you know the hardcore scene where I grew up in. I was a big hardcore kid growing up, and basically that you know like. You don't have to look a certain way to be successful, and we can create our own success by having our own formula and still doing our own thing. And I carry that with me to this this character, and it's a very, very almost counterculture um, character, which again works very well in terms of individualism within right. the society and what we live in right now. So this answer could change, obviously, Saturday night. But to this point, what would you say? The high point for your character, your newest machination of your character, has been in NXT. Ask me that when my career is over. Okay. Because I feel that saying and giving you something else might tarnish something else. And the, the funny thing is I've had that question before, and I never really know how to answer it until one day it just hit me. It was just like, you, you can't ask me that question until I'm at the end of my career. Because you feel, like it's, tell you, exactly. you feel like it's like setting a ceiling that has to be broken in order to yes. be exceeded, basically. And I've lived my entire professional wrestling career prior even to coming to WWE with, look, well, 
it's not going to get any better than this, and then it got better. <laughs> it's not going to get any better than this, and then this happened. You know what I mean? So ask me that question. We'll sit around the table again in <laughs> somewhat years, and uh, I will answer you that question, and I will give you a straight answer. But for now, wait till my career is over, and I will tell you what Absolutely. you want to hear. All right, well, we want to talk about this finishing move because I call it on, on our podcast a yeah. lot. The, the best in WWE because – that's the end of the match when you hit that, when you yes. hit the black mask. And it's so real. It's so MMA-inspired. Sure. Uh, how important is that authenticity to you that when you hit that, they fall face forward, and it, it, and it really delivers a message? It's, 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 the, it's the end of the line, and that's no pun intended if you, uh, you know. Um, it's, it, it needs to be done. Like, as soon as that thing comes in, it is, it is done. Like, that, 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 for me, that is... Um, that's significant to what Alistair Black is. Once I make my mind up to that part where you, as your, as my opponent takes me to a certain place and the crowd takes me to a certain place, as soon as that comes in, that's it. End of the story. So playing off that, because I've actually made the point on our show many, many times mm -hmm. that the thing that one of the things that annoys me the most about professional wrestling in 2018, let's say, is yeah. that finishing maneuvers aren't finishing maneuvers anymore. That sure. people kick out of them all the time. They need yeah. to hit them four or five times. Yeah. Um. How. What, what kind of uh, input did you have, I suppose, in saying this is how devastating this needs to be um, every single time I use it? Well, if that makes sense. In, 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 in all fairness, that doesn't, didn't necessarily only come from, from me. Like, I'm a big fan of like, keeping, keeping your, 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 man, your certain maneuvers just like sacred. But they implemented as well as like with the way the character is, with the way uh, I am as a, as a competitor. Um, you, you, you can't have the, the, the aura that you create when you walk out. You can't have something like that. And I don't want to have something like that. I want it to be, like I said, once, once it's there, it's, it's done. Like, and I, I want to keep that. I don't, I, I don't want to have people, you know, like I, 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 I don't want people to uh, be able to survive that. So that's why I lay them out. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be competing for the NXT championship mm -hmm. at TakeOver card against CN Almas. And we love that feud. We love that fight. Mm -hmm. But we love the 2017 feud with Velveteen Dream. In fact, mm -hmm. when we got to our end of the year and we're, we're doing our votes and we're sort of laying it on the table, we're like, we, this has to be up there with everything we've seen on the main roster, mm -hmm. really because of the storytelling, because you guys didn't put hands on each other for a long time on that mm -hmm. build. Yeah. And it was this old school sort of just psychology, organic build. Mm -hmm. Were you feeling like this wasn't just something good for NXT or something good for your career up to this point, that what you guys were doing was going to be recognized, uh, you know, way beyond that. He is the uh, the Joker to my Batman. He is the one character where I feel that myself and Velveteen will have an endless barrage of running into each other in possible uh, future settings. I think we... Uh, we feed off each other's energy very well. I think that the contrast between the two characters is so different, but still being on the same spectrum that it makes for a, you know, a tremendous visual and it makes for a tremendous uh, uh, series of competitive matches. You've obviously been doing this a lot longer than him. How mm -hmm. impressed, and I'm putting that word in your mouth a little bit, but are you by what he's already accomplished? I think he's 22 years old. You're like 10 years older about, um, what what do you think as a veteran performer who's been around the world sure. watching him right now? Sure, I, I I can't take it. Uh, I can't take that away from him. He, uh, uh, despite you know, despite of uh, like 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 the matches that we've had, and despite the you know provoking provoking that I've had from him uh, leading up to that uh, to that match, um, he's a prodigy. 
He's someone who sees it, gets it, understands it, and, and, and applies it. Eventually, you're going to get called up to the main roster, and it's, it's going to be a big part of your career. But the mm. NXT fan base within w, the WWE universe is so, you know, extra-level hardcore and protective. Yeah. There's almost like this feeling like we don't want sometimes the superstars to quote-unquote graduate and get to the next level. We don't want their characters to change, their personas. Mm. There's this intensity and raw level to NXT. Right. Is there any part of you that while you have these big dreams and goals and you're going to get there, is like, let's not rush this NXT chapter of my life because there's something special and unique going on. There is definitely something special. And, like, a part of my success is, and as cliche as it sounds, is because of the acceptance from the NXT fan base. But things have got to evolve. Like, nothing stays the same forever. Um, And if you, as an individual, are open to the idea that things change and you can accept and embrace it, that you can see the new and positive sides of anything that becomes different at one point. What would you say your role is, and maybe there's not one, and I'm just making the assumption, but behind the scenes at NXT, because it is in many ways, partially at least, or still a developmental brand for a lot of young talent and experienced talent. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned earlier, you're obviously one of the more experienced players in that brand Mm -hmm. right now. So is there a specific role for you being there aside from simply being a performer and a wrestler in the ring? Or do you see one for yourself? I don't know. Right now, for me, it's important to uh, carry the NXT brand. For me, it's important to carry the NXT name and uh, make sure that, you know, we can open more doors. So if anything, obviously, I I come from Holland, so that's a market that's not been touched that much. I hope it opens more doors, being the first ever WB superstar. And I feel that's that's something that that's a torch that I carry. I don't. I don't necessarily feel that I have a different role within NXT apart from being a performer, more as an ambassador towards your towards Europe and more specifically uh, uh, the Netherlands. We want to close here talking WrestleMania weekend. Is there a match? Is there a moment that sort of hooked you on the way up that that, that got you into the WWE brand that 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 pulled you in? That when you go on the network, you dial that WrestleMania back up. I won't say specifically just a WrestleMania. Uh, Stone Cold and Eddie Guerrero are two performances that completely drew me into uh, WWE. Interesting enough, knowing Eddie Guerrero from like his days in Japan and, and, and such before, and his days in WCW, um, him, yeah, him and Stone Cold are the ones that like really uh, drew me in. Like, you, you, I can't surpass um, you know St- Stone Cold and The Rock and their series of matches um eddie guerrero is eddie guerrero i like you can't like I, I can't like it's the same with asking me what my favorite thing is in in, in nxt or my like i can't tell you what what the exact point is because there's so much that, like the, the 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 catalog of professional wrestling uh, like extensively wwe is so so big. I can't I can't put it down to one thing. There's like so many things that drew me in uh, uh, WWE and professional wrestling. But if I have to mention two things, then it's Eddie Guerrero and Stone Cold Steve love Austin. Love it, love it. Well, Alistair Black, it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you for having me. Can't wait to see you make your first WrestleMania moment because it's, it's, it's coming it. for you, brother. NXT Thank Takeover. You. It's gonna come on. I don't want to put the pressure on you of stars and this no, ma- no, it, but no. It's, it's gonna definitely it's gonna not break putting glass. the pressure on me with that shirt that you're wearing. <laughs> well, we're gonna pretend the shirt's not on me right now. All right. For all those of right. you who not... can't see, he's wearing an Andrade Cienoma shirt, but I'm guessing he's doing this to fuel my fire. So, but consider the 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 spark lit. Let's there just we say go. That. Thanks so much for. Us. No problem. 
Adam Cole sits down with us, fresh off uh, on WrestleMania 34 Media Row from, from sitting with Macaulay Culkin. You got some bunny ears in front of you. Did, did you catch any feels for nostalgia there sitting down with, with I the... tell you what, I surely did, and I'm so happy that I have these bunny ears to remember uh, today's special day. I, I probably should be wearing them. I think so. But I don't want to mess up my hair. You did, did, did you bring up Home Alone? Did you reference anything good here? I, mean, I didn't. All I right. didn't. You were very professional. Very I, professional. Yes, yes. Very <laughs> all right. All right. This, this guy's the man right now with NXT. And the cool thing was you had built yourself up to such an incredible level with an incredible following on the indie scene. And it was always like, well, will that guy ever make the leap? Does that guy even need to make the leap? Because he's one of those self-made seemingly guys who, who have such a following. Tell me about the decision-making here to, 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 to go for it and, and cross, cross the street, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was hard in the sense of I had been so comfortable in doing what I was doing on the independent scene and, and traveling the world and kind of making my own schedule almost and getting to build that relationship with those fans for so many years. Uh, but at the end of the day, I've said this a million times, when I was nine years old, I decided I wanted to be a pro wrestler. And the end game goal was to be a part of WWE. So the decision was fairly easy in that sense. It was like, okay, I, I'm finally going to do uh, what I love to do for the company I want to do it for. So I was really happy to make well, the decision. Well, in that regard, too. we got to say congratulations. Yeah, thank and you. I got to say congratulations on the sense that you're Adam Cole before the day one, and now you're Adam Cole still. Yeah. Same gimmick, same look. Adam Cole, baby, still popping the crowd. Not everybody gets that treatment. No. How'd you negotiate that? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know. I just got really lucky, I guess. Like, <laughs> like building the uh, the building the brand that I had for the years that I had, and them deciding they want to stick with that character, that name, that catchphrase, made me really happy. Because now now I can look at my entire body of work whenever I do retire, and just know that it's consistent. I know there's always changes and evolution that happens, but Adam Cole is going to be Adam Cole. I so think. for fans who are just learning about you now, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of them. What's the genesis of that catchphrase? Yeah, so uh, I was a big Chris Jericho fan my whole life, also a big Joey Mercury fan. Uh, when Joey Mercury was on the Indies as, uh, as Joey Matthews, he used to put his arms in the air, not his fingers out, but his arms in the air, <laughs> and he would yell, Joey Matthews, Joey Matthews, over and over and over again. And I remember as a young wrestler thinking it was brilliant. So uh, I started saying Adam Cole baby as a heel. And it was baby, and then it got more obnoxious into Bebe. But really, for six years, I would do it, and nobody did it with me. It was just me doing it, and people would boo. And then for some reason, after the credentials I had or the, the matches I had in front of those fans, they started doing it with me. So and, and I never in a million years thought that that would be the thing I'm known for. So The catchphrase is great. I like when you get into the ring. The boom. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. A lot of guys don't play up the entrance music. Right. And that, it's really good music, obviously. Yeah. Did you have a hand in choosing that for the stable, the group, or was it kind of almost given to you? Yeah, yeah. We had a couple of different options, uh, and, and that particular song, we were like, that's it. We, we really, really liked the song. And uh, yeah, it just has a really cool vibe for the group and, and for what we're trying to portray. And even like the, the boom thing happened by accident. It was like, we're, I'm going through the entrance and I'm imagining it and I'm like, it says boom at this part of the song. Maybe I'll do it there. Like, there's a lot of fun stuff to play with. It, it has a cool, it's a cool pace to walk to. It with is, that yeah. Song. Yeah, yeah. The cool thing about the Undisputed Era is you guys have such history with each yeah. other. But some of that history is, is on the indie scene is legendary against each other, not, right. not, not just with each other. How weird was that to sort of say, okay, now, now I'm going to lock arms with, with the old Red Dragon here and, and make yeah, this work? Yeah, the crazy thing is when we had all gotten signed around the same time, I never imagined that they were going to put us together as a group. Like, I, I, that thought hadn't even entered my mind. So it was great because uh, uh, Bobby Fish and, and Kyle O'Reilly are two – 
really, really close personal friends of mine. Like I was in Kyle O'Reilly's wedding. Like we're we're really, really close. So and I've known him since since two thousand nine. So to get to share all this stuff together has been really awesome. Really, really cool. When you guys cut promos as a trio for NXT, I catch a little bit of like NWO Hall uh-huh. Nash vibes from it. And I'm wondering, is there anything from the presentation look and delivery of this faction that you are pulling influences from from the past. Absolutely, it, it, especially the um, uh, the kind of the attitude that we have. Like we we, we want to come across as so cocky, so full of ourselves, so arrogant. You we can't be bothered. It, we, we don't need to give you the time of day. And then definitely with the way it's being shot, of course it screams NWO with the shirts and the the hand signal and stuff too. But absolutely, I, I think n- not so much verbiage or things to say, but more uh, attitude and body language. So sure. not asking you to give up plans, but is this something you think will expand, whether naturally or otherwise, or is it something that you think is going to stay a trio? Because in WWE right now, both brands, there's a lot of three-person groups. Yeah. There's really not, except for maybe Sanity, factions in WWE like there used to be you know, in the Attitude Era, and there is now, of course, in New Japan. Right, right. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I could say never say never, but... Uh, I think our group is pretty adamant about making sure it stays three, making sure it's me and Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. So, again, it's pro wrestling, and you, and you never, never know. It's definitely possible if someday Undisputed Era could grow. But as of now, I don't see anyone who had won the group either. NXT has this, like, aura and reputation and name where it's almost like everything we love about the Indies. We're mixing it with the WWE style. We're almost getting some, some 80s feels thrown in there. <laughs> and with that is is you become legends on nxt to the hardest of hardcore wwe yeah. fans but the main roster fan base can be totally different yeah. your character can change and as fans i love asking you guys this because sometimes we're like don't don't go like billy madison like I, don't go to high school billy don't don't go i know you have dreams to go to raw and smackdown but don't leave what what we feel as fans we have there this this thing that it do you get that feel there? Like, I don't want to fast forward too far past my NXT. Right Absolutely. It, like, it, if in a perfect world, I want to be in NXT for, for quite some time because I love the brand. I believe in the brand. I love how much it's it's grown. Like you said, the fans are just out of control. Also, too, the relationship that NXT fans have with the wrestlers is so organic. and so de- You look at so many Raw after Manias where uh, guys from NXT finally debut on Raw and the fans just lose their minds and go crazy. The, the relationship and the ride along the way is, is awesome, and I, I want to experience that too. We, on this show, on our podcast, call it the best brand in pro wrestling. And for me, it's because of that mix. It's, there's some independentness. There's a little bit of New Japan in there. And then the WWE look and feel yep. encompassing it. Is that how you feel being a part of it? For sure. Yeah, yeah. Again, it, it's, it's, it's just uh, it's such a cool thing to be a part of a group of, of talent and a group of producers and just an entire production that is so smart and so obsessed about making everything as good as it possibly can be and filled with a room full of people who love pro wrestling as much as we do or love sports entertainment as much as we do. All right, it's WrestleMania so, 34 weekend. We want to close and hit you with this. What, what, what's very simple. What's your favorite WrestleMania match? What's the one that, that, that just gets you to pop that you're going to go back? Favorite on one ever is Rock Austin 2 at WrestleMania 17. That would be my favorite WrestleMania match ever. So it made me want to be a wrestler. That might match. be the best WrestleMania ever. Yeah. At the same yeah. time. You know? I thought yeah. you were going to pull something with Shawn Michaels out. Yeah, well, Shawn Michaels is my favorite as far as in-ring performer of all time, for sure. But as far as the match that made me want to do this, I have to pick I have to pick that one. Well, Adam Cole, you'll be a busy man this weekend with NXT TakeOver yeah. New Orleans. Best of luck to you. Thanks so much for getting us. Oh, thanks, guys. Absolutely. Appreciate it.
All right, before we di- before we dissect what these two guys said, and it was really cool to, by the way, to sit down and, and chat with them because both really have a presence that you know that's engaging. But Alistair Black, man, uh, you know, you talk about living the gimmick. I'm not saying that he sat down there with, with with evil in his eyes, but this is an intense dude in person who you can understand how he's able to carry out this very intense character. We did this little sort of funny skit afterwards, and and he and he cut it like a fake promo on me, and, and got in my face and looked into my eyes. And I'm telling you, I'm looking across at a at a very <laughs> intense sort of scary dude when he needs to be, and I think that's part of why he's pulling off this character so well. I'm not saying I understand why this character's a babyface, Adam, and that's another debate for another day. But Alistair Black is sort of living the gimmick, and it's working. I don't even know if he's living the gimmick or if it's back to the old mantra that everyone says. The best wrestling personas is your your real self dialed up to 12 or 15. And that's what it is with Aleister Black. Like, obviously, he's not sleeping in smoke and rising up, you know, vertically, um, you know, from from a horizontal position like he does. Um, he might not be but, drinking blood from a bat like his character yeah. may suggest that it might. It just but he, the look. but he but he legit was either born or lived in for a long time. Amsterdam, like this this persona of him. Like his hair would look that way, even if he wasn't a wrestler, his body with the tattoos would look that way, even if he wasn't a wrestler and the same with Adam Cole, but especially with Adam Black from the second he sat down, it was no BS. Sorry, Alistair Black. Look, I like Adam. It's fine. Uh, Alistair Black from the second he sat down, there was no BSing us. He was shooting straight the entire time and really taking us deep inside um, everything, everything from the origins of the finisher coming up with his name, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and really the thing I took away from the whole, it was the best thing that anyone said the entire weekend in all of our interviews, in my opinion, was him comparing the feud with Velveteen dream to Batman and Joker that he could see it going on forever and just taking different incarnations. That's incredible. I love that thought. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, that was certainly really cool. And the whole, you know, the way he's taken his MMA background, legit, you know, kickboxing background, uh, some MMA training and put it into his character of the, of the black mass finisher. No question. Look, that was one of those guys who you'll never forget. Sometimes when you see somebody before they're the finished product, I saw him as Tommy and on the Indies, like a lot of people have, I saw him as an, at an evolved show and man, you knew that second this guy's got something special. He gets it. He's intense. His whole move set back then was stiff. By the way, I saw him against Matt Riddle. Talk about a match that probably years from now I'll be talking a lot more about once Matt Riddle finally gets to to where he's going to end up. You know, in the long run, the former UFC fighter. So great stuff with Alistair Black and of course Adam Cole. I talked about both of these guys having a presence. I know you love guys with the first name Adam. In fact, you tried to give Alistair Black the first name Adam yeah. there, but this guy Adam Cole really is as cool in person as the cool level that his character comes across on the screen. This guy is a very engaging, charismatic fellow that, you know, I want to brawl with him. I mean, I'm getting, I'm catching those feels. That was, that was a dude that we could have gotten beers with. And like, it's just been normal conversation because like Alistair Black, he sat down and it was like, all right, let's just talk. Like, we're not going to BS. We're not going to kayfabe right from the beginning. He was really just telling us how it was. I, I found him kind of fascinating. And the comparisons people make to Shawn Michaels, like, I, I've met Shawn Michaels, talked to Shawn Michaels a couple times. I assume you have as well. I didn't necessarily get that, but I got the same kind of, there's the magnetism of you want to be in this person's presence. You want them to be the head of your faction or be a you know future world champion or intercontinental champion. This is the type of guy you want to build a brand behind. Yeah, no, no doubt. And he's got like, you know, we've talked in his original NXT debut and it was like, 
well, he's a little small, right? And that's nothing to take away from the great success he had in Ring of Honor, but obviously it's it's there's levels to this. This is a new level. But I think he's showing you, and certainly you got to feel from it in that interview, how the sum of his parts are greater than whatever sort of instant visualization that you look at and go, wait, is he really that guy? No, he is really that guy. Certainly you saw it in the ladder match the next night after this interview at NXT or that tag team match later on in which he sold a lot going through tables. This guy is legit. He's perfect as the face of a, of a faction, but a faction this cool, yes. And, you know, we've talked about it before on the show, but I've come full circle on the Undisputed Era from the bad name of the of the faction to the t-shirts which I didn't love at first now I think I'm ready to order one these guys are really cool and hey we didn't get a lot we didn't really get to talk about this but adding Roddy Strong it's not bad that's not bad right there well now it's actually a faction finally and it's funny but what's really funny about it honestly they took pictures of them like uh in front of a screen after the you know after takeover and it's literally four dudes with brown hair all the exact same height very similar builds like it they added someone, yes, but still not helping me out to add someone who's bigger, who changes the dy- dynamic of the group in some way. Um, so I just found that really funny. And I'm curious, you know, I just said he didn't kayfabe us, but I'm kind of wondering if he did, because I asked him about them being a three-member group. I wonder if at that time, because it was a full day earlier, almost 24, almost 48 oh, don't hours do earlier. Don't do it. He played you and you know it. Don't do you it. You think he played it? Okay. I'm, no, I'm wondering if maybe they didn't know, maybe he didn't know the book for that. For, the, for that result. Yeah, it's, it's it's a worthy debate. It's possible. I would assume that he's slick and he played us, and that's what a guy Maybe. should do in that spot. A guy should be like, well, I'm not really sure, but I don't think so. You know, like, Paul, it's Paul Heyman does the same thing. No, like, but I think he didn't he, say that. He said, he's like, look, the guys and I were really keeping it a three. Like, I don't see any future otherwise. So I was like, oh, okay. I was expecting him to give like, oh, maybe, who knows, one day. But he didn't even give us that. He was just definitive the other direction. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe we did get played a little bit, but I, I, I don't know. I didn't think so. Look, I say this a lot, and, and you heard it on this podcast. I said it to, to Goldberg as well. There's certain times as a wrestling journalist covering this fake sport that I'll I'll be fine getting played, right? Like, I, yeah, sure, I'm going to trust sure. the majority of what these guys say, but I do understand that they have to, in the end, protect some bottom line of, of, of a reveal. And there's certain times that I'll willingly get played, and I think that's one of them where I'm like, all right, you know, the reveal was great. The swerve at the end w- w- was fantastic. So, hey, Adam Cole, baby, you got me, brother. <laughs> By the way, special shout-out before we close up here. It's just timely with this being on a Monday and this just happening last night. Shout-out to Pentagon uh, Zero M, oh, yes. Cerro Miedo, like winning the Impact World title. That's awesome. I never thought they'd go in that direction. This guy, I know you hadn't really been – Knowing much about him, I know I didn't when we saw him at WrestleCon Super Show, WrestleMania weekend. I became an instant fan of him that night. And the fact that Impact made this move with him, Smart. I love it. Oh, my God. I love it. So there's a uh, Connecticut-based promotion, uh, New England Wrestling, and they had a main event this past weekend where it was Flip Gordon against Pentagon Jr. And the clips that I saw from their social media accounts coming back with, like, Flip doing a 450 off the top rope through a table. Like, these guys were selling out. And I'm like, you know what? I'm very late to the party on on, on this guy but man, am I fine with that? And I know our guy D Mitty is already coming at me on Twitter today saying, oh, you didn't hear this guy four weeks ago. You're right. I didn't know much about him outside of the name. He's winning me over. Smart move by Impact. They had that triple threat main event where he took the belt from Austin Aries and and Pentagon's real-life brother, Ray Phoenix, there. So very much down with that. I want to check out that match because the clips I've seen, Adam, are pretty much impressive. It does seem like Impact is going in the right direction, which is really cool. Um Something I looked up last night, just 
as maybe a quick way to wrap everything up. Uh, I looked it up last night. They've had 43 title reigns, right, for the Impact World Championship. Only six of them, total reigns, have been from wrestlers that were not either previously signed by WWE or eventually signed by WWE, which means one of two things. Either he joins the latter category and eventually signs with WWE one day, which would be awesome, or Impact, this, and this is now back-to-back for them, they've now figured out a way, not back-to-back, I'm sorry, Aries was in WWE, um, but they've now figured out a way to put the title on someone that they can actually help build up along with Lucha Underground, which I think is really cool. Yeah, good partnership for sure. And I did shout out D. Mitty, our good man right there. He wasn't the guy that called me out. It was Dingus McGee, who was a regular on the show in the past. So, hey, Dingus, back off, brother. All right, anyway, thanks to everyone for stopping by, man. Goldberg, everyone across the board from our great sound at WrestleMania there. Hey, thank you for listening. Follow us on our social media accounts at CBS. At Silverstein Adam, follow the show at In This Corner CBS. Be sure to drop us that five star review if you liked what you heard today, and check out our other offerings from the ITC this week. Adam, you got any other messages for the people? Well, no, we have a MMA. I'm gonna I'm gonna do your job for you here. We have another MMA edition coming out Tuesday here on In This Corner, previewing Bellator. What is this? 1,182? Yeah, what number this is, is the next step in the heavyweight Grand Prix tournament to crown a champion. Hey, we got, we got Fedor and Frank Mir. This is, you know, you're going to hear from King Mo, who is obviously in that tournament, breaking it all down. And then Wednesday, we've got some, some more big guests to come that will be unnamed as, as of now. We do. Um, and potentially, this is not set in stone, but we may have an instant analysis of the greatest Royal Rumble on Friday. That all depends if they make it worth our while. I have a feeling they're going to. Yeah, let's see how great your greatest Royal Rumble actually is. Hey, I haven't played this sound in a while. Because I'm a redneck. My name is Jimmy Wang Yang. I'm your boy. Yeah. We out. <laughs>